We are continuing our struggle. Not our struggle, of course. No, we're, we're <laughs> no, normal. No, not ours. We're good. We're fine. We're continuing to talk about other people's struggle yeah. with midlife crisis. Nor are we talking about Hitler's struggle. <laughs> no, that was his. Yeah, that was. He didn't right. call it our struggle. No, it was, it was his. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Duff. Uh, but we're going to talk about uh, uh, melodrama today. And, uh, you know, we're going to ask this big question of, are there second acts in American love lives? No. <laughs> Listeners, welcome to another episode of the Midnight Boys Present, a free podcast. I'm your co-host, Rob, and joined, as always, by my uh, May-to-December romance friends, Joe and Duff. <laughs> Love to be here. <laughs> Just hanging out in the snow, uh, thinking about life and stuff. <laughs> Were they still... Okay, so uh, let's just get right into it. So there's a lot okay. of fake snow in this movie, and it's like the old style like foam. Isn't yeah. that the stuff that causes cancer? Probably. I feel like everything back we talked then about that in an episode. Cancer. Yeah, we talked about that in an episode, didn't we? Like a yeah. Really, um, or maybe... maybe um, Rob no, and that I was, did in a tombstone. That was the one? nuclear fallout of the Conqueror that yeah, we talked. I mean, there about. was that too. Well, yeah. but I know. I know what you're talking about, Joe. Like, it's kind of how like they almost killed what, Bobby, Buddy Ebsen in Wizard of Oz by like spray painting him, and he had an allergic reaction, and that's why he wasn't the Tin Man. Oh yeah, the original Tin Man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like yeah. we were just pumping chemicals into everyone at every chance we got. Yeah, there wasn't much thought into that. Um, uh, but my thing about the snow is this is the era of movie that I love because when snow falls on people, it looks like just globs of paper mache. Just someone dumped a barrel of it on them. Like, it looks just like slop. I love it. But yeah, I yeah, you are right. Um, so we're going to talk about a movie that I know Duff and I weirdly, I think weirdly, love. I, maybe maybe it's not weird. I don't know. I mean, know. it's it's kind of a deep cut. <laughs> it's a it's a bizarre movie that we both enjoy. It's not bizarre. It's bizarre that we love it. I guess we were talking about the 1955 movie All That Heaven Allows, which we talk about this stuff with like names of noirs and stuff. This uh, title this, means this, nothing. I yeah. can never remember this title. I'm like all the heaven, far from heaven. Half the time I think it's that. Um. Yeah. I don't. I can never remember the title of this movie. Ever. I, and then I always confuse it with uh, what's the other one with? I believe Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, where he accidentally blinds her and then becomes a doctor to try to cure her. <laughs> yes, that is uh, forbidden, the movie they made. Forbidden. Right before. Op- let me try to get forbidden object something. Wow. Is it the Douglas Sirk movie? You mean Magnificent yeah. Obsession? Magnificent Obsession. That which. Is it. Whole wow, that I'm sure we're going to talk about Douglas. And that movie we probably have to talk about in some ways because that had Jane Wyman and Rock Hudson, and then they were like, That was a hit, do it again. Um, that movie has one of the wildest plots I've ever watched in my entire life. Um, and I I only gave away like the first act, like a lot of (laughs) there's a lot that happens. That one's absurd. All they haven't allows is a melodrama, but the plot is not. I would not call it absurd. No, I, I'd say it's quite 
like obviously there's some over the top elements to the way some of the characters speak and behave, mm-hmm. but the story itself is I think very grounded. Yes, yeah. I would agree. Um, so, all right, we should maybe summarize this movie. Should I should talk about it? We have um, Jane Wyman, who had I believe had just broken up or divorced Ronald Reagan. This is before he was a president. So, you know, it's a fun world to think about. I know we love to talk about Nancy Reagan on the show. <laughs> the old throat goat. <laughs> <laughs> Real hell uh, no. But there's a world, maybe, right? Where, like, he stays with Jane Wyman, and maybe that ends up being the... And, and she's the one telling us not to do drugs. Maybe. Maybe. Could she be. she like that, though? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I, I, I. You know what? I don't know what Jane Wyman liked to do. I can't imagine like her being as awful a person as uh, Nancy. The throat Reagan goat. Was. <laughs> like I, she might be, but Nancy Reagan was a pretty like vile human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So Jane Wyman is a widow. Like I said in the movie, uh, Ron Reagan was still alive in real life. Um, too, too bad she wasn't a widow. I, I, I shouldn't. We should note about Jane Wyman, by the way. We mm-hmm. we kind of call dudes out for this from time to time. Sometimes mm-hmm. as a criticism, sometimes for laughter. Uh, she's in the Five Time Club. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And uh, to someone the same time, uh, a repeat. Yeah. Well, someone oh. kept breaking her Wyman. Uh, <laughs> s- s- sad news. <laughs> Sad, sad news about Jane yeah. Wyman. Um, she part of the reason they didn't get along is at the time he was a Democrat and she was a Republican. Uh, oh, at the time, that's yeah. Wow. And uh, she um, thought he was a great president. But anyways, whatever. Well, uh, okay. but she also claimed to like not really know much about politics. Whatever. Uh, that, that sounds like she's just trying to have her cake and eat it too. Yeah. Okay. Anyways, yeah. Moving on. So okay, so she's she's a widow. We we don't know why. We, I mean, well, her husband died, but we, there's no like. <laughs> By definition, we know that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a that tends to end marriages, but it doesn't. Like to be clear, it doesn't start with like a coffin flop at the funeral or anything. You know what I mean? Like we just she's just living gotcha. at home, <laughs> and um, and uh, and her friend comes over, and we sort of like, oh, you know, she's divorced, living her own. She's upper class. She's doing well. And uh, she's got, you know, her trees are being trimmed, which is not an innuendo. It, nope. There's an arborist played by um, Rock Hudson who's trim, trimming her trees. It depends on who's talking about him. It, some people who look down on him call him merely a gardener. Correct. Uh, but, yeah. But he uh, actually is an arborist. He has a tree farm. I would he say does. I would say he's a horticulturalist. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, he. We will get to his. He has quite the uh, spread of his in his what he owns, his greenhouse, his trees, his mill. It's very cool. Um, and she's got two kids that are like, I guess they're not uh, adult kids. I mean, they're like college age kids. They're, they're avoiding the draft in college. Yeah. <laughs> this is like the fifties. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, could, and a few years earlier, it could have been Korea, but yes, like. that's true. That's true. Uh, and so her and and uh, Ron, like Rock Hudson, fall in love. Now there's an age difference. The movie plays it up more than actually. I think it's like eight or nine years in reality. Yeah, I, the, I looked at yeah. Rock Hudson was 38. Jane Wyman was 30. No, the other or, way sorry, around. Sorry, sorry, reversed. 
Uh, but this movie acts like she is way older. She's sixty-five. The way, yeah, the way her kids talk about her is yeah, just yeah. like she's a withered old. Girl. They, they want her parked on a recliner in front of a television set, uh, oh, just waiting for them to come back to visit. Literally, Joe, what Joe said there is absolutely true. There is a heartbreaking scene. I feel like when her kids just like, even though she doesn't want a TV. They just get her a TV for Christmas, and she just looks at her reflection, and it's very sad (laughs) and disappointed. It is, I think you'll agree in like a good way. It is almost like comically melodramatic, but I love it. Yes, I did. It's like this perfect reflection of just this sad, supposedly spinster esque woman. Right. All she wants to do is just go back to the tree farm and get just. She she wants to get railed by the rock. <laughs> and who can blame her? No, no, I can't. Um, so they fall in love, and you know they start making plans of of getting married. And she tells her, um, she, you know, she starts to like let people know, and it doesn't go well. Her kids are terrible about it. The country club and almost all her friends, except uh, Sarah, played by Agnes Moorhead, are dreadful to her about it. Um, she's gossiped about by who's that woman? Uh, that uh, Mona. Oh, that bitch, Mona. Oh, Mona. Mona's just the town goss, yeah. you know. Yeah, she's terrible. Um, and so, and so they, she just, she's just. Although, she, okay, she, I will say that nosy butcher did her no favors. Just like, it's like, oh, I tried to call you like three times. Where were you? Like, that, that's a lot of info you need there, butcher. That's true. That nosy butcher. Yeah. Uh, so. Eventually, especially when her kids sort of turn on the idea, she just tells him that she can't do it. All the while, Ron is living this like this very natural life. He's got friends. There's this, there's a real dichotomy between like her, you know, her going to these country clubs and the way people act versus like him going to his friend's his, place. His and, friends are like <laughs> a a pol- polyamorous communist party. Like it is. Like, you know those people are swingers, and they're just, like, radicals. Ronald Reagan sent them all up the river a few years later. (laughs) I thought it... Yeah, there's a deleted scene where they drop all their keys in a bowl. Mm -hmm. Um. (laughs) It was a a 50s outdoorsy key party. Yeah. Uh, So... They end up like breaking up essentially because of this because she doesn't she doesn't she's not ready and she's not ready to like throw her life away and her kids are against it. She really chooses her kids at this point. Um, Big mistake. Awful, yes. awful kids. Yep. And you know she, it's not feeling it's not going great for her. It's not going great for him. They're sad that they're not with each other. And then um, she gets some advice from the doctor to go marry him because she keeps having headaches. And he says it's like life telling her that she needs to live her life or something. Yeah. Great doctor. Yeah. <laughs> I do love it. He's like, I can't give you any medication for life or whatever it is he says. Yeah. Uh, and then she decides to go see him because she finds out he's still like single and stuff. And she goes to his property. Then she changes her mind. And then we get full on melodrama. Because he sees her up from, like, a cliff or whatever and wants to get his atten- her attention, and then the ground just collapses and he falls <laughs> off a cliff. <laughs> With a mini avalanche. He falls into, like, a just a pile of asbestos, uh, the fake snow. <laughs> and then she hears about the accident, and she comes to his house, and she decides that she's not going to let people decide how she's going to live her life, and she's going to stay with them and nurse them back to health. And... Um, She's home now, and that's yep. that's how the movie ends. He, he wakes up 
uh, as as a deer walks up to watch them go to Pound Town. It's <laughs> not a Patreon episode, Duff. Well, that's why I didn't use a swear. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah, there's a deer, very a very curious deer. Um, so that is the movie. It is very simple. It is under 90 minutes. It is a Technicolor film that I think looks absolutely gorgeous. Oh, yeah. It, it looked like Disneyland at night. It's just a marvel of light and shadow and and staging and yeah, it's, oh, beautiful. Yeah, and uh, Douglas Sirk does like like I'm sure we'll get to it. But he does incredible things of lighting and color and uh, mirrors and reflections, and it all just fits for this this melodrama. And, and it's one of those classic uh, studio sets, at, so it's just it ha- the artifice works in its favor. And it's one of those sets where I, I know I looked and it's like been 30 different things. I think the house is Leave it to Beaver House. Yes, yes. I think and that I might have been it. And I think you can see the Psycho House a couple houses down from Herds maybe yeah. or something. What would, yeah, I think it was what would become the yeah. Bates Mansion. So, yeah, that would probably be a Universal or Paramount lot then. So, yeah, this pops up all the time. Right. Um, and, you know, it... It, I mean, well, okay. We'll, we'll get to more movie. I mean, I think the reason all that artifice works is like it's kind of meant, I think, as like a melodrama to be to have that artifice, but also like I feel like the movie that works to reinforce the themes of the movie about how fake it all is. Yeah, you know? and that was kind of Doug, Douglas Sirk's thing is he would kind of trick people into thinking they're going to, I guess, kind of the more traditional what you think of of a Rock Hudson movie like Pillow Talk or something. And then there would be these beautiful but kind of sad movies, and they'd have a lot of pretty heavy and pretty liberal for the day social themes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's the movie. Let's get into, Joe, let's let's talk about, is there anything else plot-wise you guys want me to bring up, or do you think we'll... Uh, the, only, the last thing I'll say is uh, we talked about how uh, using the you know proper term, to, he's not just a gardener, yeah. Uh, with that said, I want you to swap uh, the last, you know, kind of tradesman you saw working on yards in, in, you know, that you saw in your neighborhood, and just put him in this movie in your mind, and just think about it and the hilarity that would be. Put who in this? Who? Like just your average dude who's like working on, sh- you know, a tree or shrubs. Or, or you something. mean Ernest is what you mean? <laughs> well, now, <laughs> now <laughs> I you know. want this movie dude, with this movie Ernest. Probably, I think it'd probably be better if it was Ernest. Instead yeah. of Rock Hudson. Oh my god. <laughs> well, both Rock Hudson and Jim Varney were essentially playing a part their whole lives. God, well, Jim Varney would have died even younger if he had been around all that asbestos. <laughs> <laughs> um so let's let's dig into you know, midlife crisis, right? This is uh we're we're kind of flipping over to the to the ladies' end. Yeah, and and I think like the only thing I would emphasize a little bit more from the plot summary it happens to also be a good segue into like the angle we're taking, and and I think a lot of people go through this whether it's through um, death, uh, divorce, uh, never maybe finding the right person to begin with, but like finding love in middle age, and and I guess first I'd ask a question to you two. Um, I don't. I didn't catch it if it's stated. Is it ever stated how old she actually is? No her character. It's no. never given as a number. No. Okay, so her kids are both in college, 
yeah, it's like 18 to 22 feels like each of them. Like maybe she's like on the younger end. Kay's and on the younger we, end and Ned so is. So she's a, probably early 40s then seems like a safe bet. Considering yeah. like when people got married. We do know that she got married then. when she was 17. Oh, okay. So then she could she could be she could be 38 just like Jane Wyman was then. She could be. Okay. Yeah. All right. So well, I that's not super important, but I think it's a little important. Um and and I think that um I'm going to come back to the children later. Yeah. I, but, <laughs> I, but I I don't think you can really on you you can't overemphasize just how much they sabotage this relationship by emotionally manipulating their mother. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I think you over overlooked a little bit is how as soon as she breaks up with him, they immediately stop caring about their mom. And they immediately... They buy just, her a TV. They buy yeah. her a TV so they don't have to feel bad about not going there. They stop visiting. Um, when she tells Ned, one of the most vile characters in movie history, uh, <laughs> that she's not going to go follow through with the engagement... He like, oh, that's great news, mom. I gotta go. I have class, and just like hangs up the phone. And I think that that's like a really, uh, like, key part of middle age too, is that you have these relationships with people um, that that might be family, it, it might be friends, and just in the same way that I think you do when you go to college and you start thinking like, well, what kinds of friendships do I want to maintain from high school? Which ones like aren't really worth the work? Some some just die a natural death. There's no intention on either party. It just goes away, right? And that, I think that sort of happens again in middle age when when I think people go through so many I like transformative life experiences uh, that you you get this really difficult put in this really difficult position. I think this movie portrays it really well. Of like, well, I I'm. And life's inertia is pushing me in this direction. In her case, like, um, you know, from her friends, many of which I would imagine are friends that she met through her late husband. Right. I mean, the inertia she's expected to have is like, well, just keep living the same life that you had just without that husband anymore. Yeah. Just keep up appearances at the country club. Yep. And go around, you know, make sure the house looks good. Yep. And, and like, and the kids, like, you know, like obviously, like you know, your children are very important, and you you need to sacrifice a great deal for them. But like at a certain, you also need to know where that line is of like, well, I'm sorry that this upsets you, but this is what I want to do, and you're just gonna have to get over it. And she doesn't have the courage to do that initially, but when she realizes that they're sort of doing in a way the same thing, like starting to move on and live their own lives, that's what finally I think partially nudges her to like reconsider right so i i think like ultimately like we talked last week about um in sideways about these the two different i would say significantly more self-destructive ways that most characters (laughs) deal with the midlife crisis and carrie i think i think her approach i don't think it is in this case but is can potentially be sort of self-destructive as well, or not maybe not self-destructive, but can potentially be like an impul- uh, impulsive. Yeah, just like why am I living this way? And this desire to almost just hit the reset button and just be yeah. like, I, I how like uh, like the um, once in a lifetime moment, like the Talking Head song, like how did I get here? Mm-hmm. I, I would say that that song and this movie are like basically the same thing, right? Um, yeah, it's 
you know, all of a sudden things start to become clear about all, you know, none of this really matters. I think she has that line, something in the extent of it's like, it's all just a waste or it's all for. Well, it's also this movie in a very 1950s way also is like it, it, it gets rid of the stickiness of it being a divorce or anything, right? He just died. Like, you know what I mean? It's not, it's yeah. not her deal. They, you know, they're probably like, look, you can have one controversial thing. Yeah, Cannot but he's just dead. When he starts the movie, he's dead. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. But I think the movie, like, I think it's more powerful because it isn't a divorce. Because it shows that even when, like, it's not her, it's nobody's fault that, that her marriage is over. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing to say, but it, it, it's ap- it applies to what I'm trying to argue right. here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, She's still, like, everyone still wants to control her. Yeah, that's and, true. And even and, and everyone is still going to find a way to shame her for moving on if they don't. She doesn't move on in a way that they uh, approve of. And they want her to marry uh, the most boring guy on the planet. What, what was this? Uh, Alvin? Uh, uh, Alfred? Uh, what was his? No, it was something like that. It wasn't Alfred. Was it? It was Conrad or something? Harvey. Or Harvey. 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 Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. I was. I remember and, doing the movie as like. <laughs> yeah, just to get the stupid rabbit. Um, Harvey, by the way, I looked up the actor. The actor's name was Conrad, so maybe that's where you pulled it. Okay. Uh, okay. Conrad Nagel. Uh, he was 58, so she, he was 20 years older than Jane White. He even, like, he asks her, like, he's a nice guy. He's not, there's nothing wrong with him. He's not mean. There, there are plenty of men, there's the, there are plenty of men in the country club that are not very nice. Oh, he's just yeah. an old guy, but he is, like, he asked her to marry her, and he's just, like, you know, he literally goes, like, I don't believe in romance or anything. You know what I mean? Like, just, that's a young I just need a woman. Game. Yeah, yeah, I just need someone to be around. We can. I just need a warm body. Yeah, and she's like, it's just you know. Once again, they treat her like she's, um, she's they, Norman Bates's mom. <laughs> yeah, essentially, the like the town is like, you should just take the first man who will have your old bones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and also when Howard tries to rape you at a party, uh, you should just deal with it. Yeah, uh, I mean. I don't want to. I don't want to like fear cows, but that probably happened at that country club a lot. They're probably used. Oh, to of it. course. Oh, you got, oh, a country club oh, yeah, in the fifties. Sure that's the first time Howard did that, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, he does that all the time. So I guess like that's um, Howard's thing. Howard so, the not a duck, though, you know. So I I, I liked. <laughs> I, I thought this movie was a great pick because I think it it, it um well it I, obviously we want to try to you know get multiple perspectives here uh and i I like how it it centers a woman's midlife crisis because i think that happens in movies significantly less often Mm -hmm. uh, as it is with almost every topic right Mm -hmm. but but i think that's an extremely universal like phenomenon when you're in middle age is just this desire to escape and start over fresh um with something new and sometimes i think that that can come from some healthy impulses like you realize like why am i doing this job it doesn't make me happy. Mm-hmm. I don't need the money that bad. My husband's I'm, dead. Yeah. Or why am I married <laughs> to this person? We haven't been in love forever. Or uh, why do I live here? Wh- whatever it might be. Like you, you see, you, you naturally just sort of question these things because you start to realize like, this might be my last chance to make a meaningful change in my life and still have time to enjoy it. And I think that even if even if you think about this movie is obviously a romance, and I, I think it looks at that through the lens of of love, 
mm-hmm. and, and romantic relationships. But I, I think that that her struggle there could could apply to deciding that you want to switch careers. You know, the pressure that her friends and neighbors and family put on her. Uh, I think pe- that people experience the same things. If, if someone was like said, like, hey, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. It stresses me out. Uh, I don't like it. And I don't care that I I will make half as much money somewhere else. And people that's really sa- stressed when they meet Ron's friends and they kind of they hear how that one guy was a lawyer and how that they, you know, that really it's on the angle of, yeah, we weren't happy. And we took stock of what, you know, what were we doing? As as like her and, and Rock husband uh, husband <laughs> Rock <laughs> husband bring up a lot like they they this question like is this important and he uh, repeatedly just says it doesn't have to be right and and I think that that's that's what what's great about what part of what's what many things are about what's great about this movie is it it looks that and all of us I think I would say virtually everyone does that when they get into their forties as you look around and. You reevaluate, like, are all these things that all these positions I put myself in that I thought were important when I was in my 20s and 30s, like, are they actually important? And I think that's a healthy thing to do. Right, for sure. Um, but it also sometimes makes, you know, these people making kind of impulsive decisions that might end up being a mistake. But still, I in that I don't think that's the case in this movie at all, though. Another interesting angle uh, that I think actually uh, compliments what you just said is that it's interesting to me how she kind of has a crisis thrust upon her and that she would have just kept up that inertia and kept going if she, if she didn't talk to Ron that day. Whereas, you know, and sideways, like these guys are just idiotic and self-destructive and they go out looking for trouble and, you know, call it happenstance or call it uh, maybe she subconsciously or even consciously did something. It's kind of, you know, fate kind of showed up at her doorstep instead of her just kind of going out and seeing what was there. I mean, there's that moment, you know, where the second time he comes over and finishes up and she invites him over for to have his coffee again and he says he's, he can't and then he invites her over and she says no at first and there's that second, that hesitation that he picks up on. Like, yeah. you know, there's the whole sliding doors one. Like, oh, if she doesn't do that, this never happens. Her kids are delighted, but she's probably miserable and ends she's up with... parked in front of that TV the rest of her life. Yeah, oh, she boy. She starts asking Ned to make about eight of those martinis a night to get her... Oh, out. yeah, Ned's special martinis. Boy, God, these, I, these I people... I hate Ned so much. <laughs> these people, they know how to drink. I like that it's like, oh, should we have a martini before the cocktail party? Like, whoa, Jesus. Well, first off, the answer is yes. You absolutely I mean, should have a cocktail before you have more you cocktails. You don't want to go in there dry. No, that's you're setting yourself and up martinis, for failure. Martini, that's a, I know it's like the drink du jour back then for the upper upper crust types, but man, those, those knock me out. I will say... The one thing that I forget about every time I watch this movie, and I don't mean to derail any of this. This is important, (laughs) though. That goddamn Christmas tree that she puts up, I don't understand. Every time I see it, I'm like, how? What? Why is this tree so awful? How is this? Because she impulsively just says, yeah, wrap that one up because she's so upset when she sees Ron with another woman. (laughs) She picked out this, like, sickly ball-shaped tree. (laughs) No, I mean, you didn't notice that? Pick that. Yeah, she she rejected that tree initially, 
and we kept asking for like the, the, then asked for the what was it the um the, uh, the silver the t- silver tips spruce, spruce or whatever yeah. yeah and then when she sees him with the other woman the guy comes back and she just just for gestures back to the tree she already said no to and says just wrap that one up. oh I, I didn't pick that up okay yeah, so that so it's ugly on purpose because okay. she just wanted to get out of there because she it was is, so upset but it is ugly in a fascinating way like the yeah laws, i've never the, quite seen one like the, that the laws of physics aren't applying <laughs> it's like a charlie brown tree but shaped like a circle yeah yeah it, it's like a humpty dumpty uh uh, Christmas tree. Oh, I never realized. I never picked up on that. That that happens at that moment. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe. You're welcome. I uh, mean, you can't blame her, right? Like you see the person you love with another. Which, well, it turns out that he wasn't dating that person, but she thought right. he was. Yeah. She's like, yeah, just wrap that one up. I'm getting out of here. I'm gonna go home and cry. Yeah. <laughs> go turn on the TV. I don't think she had it yet. No, she didn't. No, have she it didn't. Because her. Who was that dude that had to help bring over the TV on Christmas? He was the TV salesman that she yeah, rejects earlier in the movie. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what about, I mean, I will say, though, the thing I do like, you were, you know, Duff earlier talking about, like, his friends. I really enjoyed that whole scene at that friend's house. Like, everyone just showing up and bringing oh, their, like. I, I legitimately love it. It's just yeah. it's so funny, you know, that they're, like. And I mean, that's kind of what they're coded as. Like, I swear they're coded as communists. Yeah. Like, because because they reject material things. And... Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. 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 Okay. So I mean, I mean it... one of the the dude that comes, what is he like, the writer or something, or the artist? Like, the artist. He looks like every stereotype of a communist in the 1940s. He, yeah, like half of them look like Pete Seeger. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um. So I, you know, like I was saying about Douglas Sirk, like his it's kind of how like monster movies would have to be the coded you know version of hey atomic energy is bad because you couldn't come out and say it like i feel like this is coded as hey these are kind of like uh leftward communist friendly people okay they're kind of you know but they're presented in a like in a joyous and uh, something to aspire to it's not like you know like when you see what Hollywood thought a beatnik was, or something like that. Uh, do you guys think there's any criticism to be put on Ron in this movie? With like, there's that point where you know she's trying to decide what she wants to do, and he he makes that point back to her where she's like, "Well, I, I have to make a choice." And he's like, "Well, you're just you're you're the one turning this into a choice, right?" But then he also says, "Like, I'm not changing for anyone." Like, do you think there's anything to be put against Ron on that? Like, I mean, you could. You know, you don't need to change who you are, but you know, you can. You're still yeah, you, only thirty years old. You, your life can adjust in small ways to meet your partners. Like you can go get sloshed <laughs> at the country club once in a while. Yeah, <laughs> like you can, you can, you know, do a, a occasional thing with her from time I, to time. I, I don't, but I don't think that that's really what she was, where she was coming from, like to just like meet in the middle or something like that. I, everything that she brings up was just like we can live at my house. Uh, mm-hmm. My children need a place to stay. See, see, he, it was. I think like it, it was pretty clear that she just expected him to go back to that town, and he's like, "I'm not doing that." So I understand like the way he phrases that makes it. It certainly sounds like someone. I'm not changing for everyone, of course. Like that's that in and of itself is unreasonable. Right, but right. Speci- in the context of what he was specifically responding to, I don't think that that was bad. Now his his retort: "You're the one that's making this a choice." 
that's one of those classic lines like during a passionate discussion or argument where like you're right and mm-hmm. it sounds really good and it's smart. Yep. But maybe, you scored a point. Maybe However, don't, maybe don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> when you're Rock Hudson, you can. We, well, he, he he got his bell rung falling down an asbestos slide later because of it. So. Do you know? So, you know who uh, kind of has the the right idea is Ron's friend. He goes out hunting with. Where he's yeah. like, just go apologize. And he's like, for what? He's like, whatever. Just make something up. Yep, yep, yep. That is that is yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, like I think he says, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> like, just, like sometimes you just gotta fix things. Just, you know? Yeah. Just just pick something on the way over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like Uh-oh. he make he made this point, and like my wife kind of had a problem with this. Like, well, w- women want to be. I, I think he says it was her. I think he, he says something he, like rocks or, or uh, right. They want to have their mind changed or something. Yeah. Or sometimes maybe, women want to have their mind changed. And I, that obviously like is, is the way it's phrased is sexist and stuff. I yes. think the, the rom, the romant, there's a romantic element underneath though, that where he's right. Not in the, like women want need to have their mind changed sense. Like that's obviously awful, but he is right in the sense that like, you're stupid for not going to her. <laughs> right. Trying. You could put effort in. Yeah. Now, right I, now. I, I don't blame Roy because I think he's right, too, because, like, I, th- I think maybe it's a little too prideful, but he is right. She made a choice, and he's like, well, I'm going to respect that. Well, it's also tough, too, right, because what he has to fight against is her children, right? Like, it's yeah. a tough battle for him to come in and be like, well, your kids are assholes. <laughs> Have you thought about that? Like, you, yeah. that's a tough one to, you know, throw yeah. out there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's generally not a fight you're going to win. No. Um, like, in this case, he'd be right. And I, I think, like, Harry probably ultimately realizes that he's right, too. But, yeah. Um, still, like, as appalling as Ned is, you can't go over there and just punch him in the jaw. Right. Right. That's. You yeah. should have just can't. told him his martinis were trash. That's and his I mean. suit was weird. <laughs> your, your little grace, your little weird suit, Ned. Um,. <laughs> So God, do we I want to talk Ned about just oh, I, Ned just walking around that house like he's forty years old and and uh, has all my the dad's wisdom trophy. in the world. Oh, and then he keeps saying like this this twice. He's like this house has been in the family for I don't know how long. He has no idea. He has yeah, no clue. And, and we were born here, and that that's the thing I didn't bring up earlier too. Is at, at, later after he um um says that like kind of hangs up on his mom he also comes back later and says like oh we're gonna sell the house we don't it's too big you don't need this big of a space did you also joe did you uh, i was wondering if you caught like what ned's uh work plan is that he just got like it's all very vague but he's like oh and then i'm gonna be a partner and then it's off to france and then uh me and what's her name we're gonna like he literally ends us and then we'll settle up in iran like he's yeah yeah i I, so he is for sure like a war profiteer who just like like (laughs) got some contract through the cia or something he's like oh see ya I, i i when he mentioned that i muttered under my breath like god i hope he gets killed over there because what the He's, revolution would have been about 10 years later or 20 uh well that wasn't until late 70s he okay, probably helped overthrow later? their democratically elected uh president whatever it was yeah ho- hopefully hopefully he died in in the lead up to it or something like that. 
God, that sucks so much. Yeah. yeah well, let's does. let's let's transition to the kids. So that yes, I think that 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 that's something that was missing from last week's film. Sideways is I I think it's an also an important element and a, and a fascinating thing. To, like as children, like how you respond to your parents' midlife crisis, and uh, I would say in this case, the children react in the worst way possible. Well, at yeah. first they try. They, at the beginning, they try to be like you know. Kay especially was when talking about that old guy. Uh, uh, Harvey. Harvey was like, oh, you know, I mean, and she like rationalizes the whole thing because she's like, well, he's harmless and he's the age they want and they know him and all that stuff. Um, but like, as soon as it becomes real and his her mom is actually in love, she's just like, I can't handle it. People may say things. Yeah. Can you imagine anything worse than that? Yeah. Um, she can't. Now, I think the movie, like, that's one, like, these the these these children sh- should be, like, locked in a cell somewhere, for sure. They're all, <laughs> to be clear. But I think, like, her situation is a little bit more sympathetic than Ned's. She she is younger, mm-hmm. and the, the nasty shrews around town are also spreading a rumor that she's sleeping with Roy before her late True. husband died. And that True. is a tough thing for, like, you know, uh, someone in their late teens or early adulthood to deal with. Well, um, plus, uh, and also, I mean, this is obviously still an issue today, but think of through the lens of the 1950s. This is uh, a young woman who is getting an education and trying to straddle that, uh, you know, that you can have it all mentality like and having to navigate and it actually is you know she's uh she's one dimensional a lot of the time but i think it's a really great scene where we see her break down because people were taunting her and she's like i wish i didn't care but i do and she becomes vulnerable like, and all that color spilling into the room oh, too the, the through red, that the through red, like the stained glass or whatever yes i yes. mean we never get any type of redemption with ned but even she's manipulating her mom in that scene too. I think. Yeah, she is. I, I don't. I don't really think she comes across great in that one either. At least, I guess. I suppose Duff, you're right in that she does allow for she 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 well, does she, admit that it's irrational the way she's behaving. You're right. Yeah, and then later on, when at Christmas, she does tell her mom like she's. I do think she's legitimately upset that she caused her mom pain because, she, I mean. You know, she's still selfish and just like, hey, do you remember that day I had that big fight with what's his name? And she's like, yes, that was the day that Ron and I broke up. And I think she legitimately feels bad about that. Now, it doesn't absolve her of everything. But again, I do think she's a little more. She's better than Ned, for sure. She has more depth than Ned. Yes. Yeah. 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 I mean, Ned just wants to be the man that controls his mom. He just wants to take over for his dad. Yeah, just he gets that. so mad about that trophy. Oh, oh my god! Trophy. Um, yeah, so upset. Um, yeah, they are not. Um, I, I agree with Duff. Like, Kay, there's definitely more of like a. She at least tries to rationalize it and understand it. Where like Ned is just all emotion. It's a little actually interesting from a dynamic, like a gender switch for a 1950s movie that she, yeah. he, Ned's the Ned's the emotional one, and uh, and Kay's the one who's trying to like rationalize it intellectually all the time yeah which is a little obnoxious as well for yeah. its own reasons but uh yeah they are um 
And they and another thing about the television set is she keeps telling them, I don't want a TV. This poor lady, Carrie just wants to just go outside and hang out with the communists and like go to the Arbory uh, Arboretum and hang out. Do some with interior old... decorating in the mill yep. house. Oh the mill. Oh my god. I love the mill. Yeah. I love how like they changed the mill into this incredible thing and all that stuff. And all the while, her, like, terrible kids who show up, like, you know, once a month for the weekend are just like, no, you need a TV, lady. (laughs) Sit here and watch the television until we come back in five weeks and check on you. Yeah. You experience life through this box now. Yes. This is what you do. (laughs) This is what you do. Um, So, I guess, like, as a quick, uh, like, um follow up to the the kids thing like obviously we we see and i guess midlife crisis always has like negative connotations when it's brought up well I, the I crisis mean, word generally you know, crisis yeah is i, I understand yeah word. but but i i mean i think we would agree no like, like the she, iran crisis you know <laughs> i think we would agree like she's going through a midlife crisis but i think we would also agree that like it's good she comes out better at the end for sure yeah like like it's it's like her life does need to change she is unhappy so like this is i think an example of like where like the that that moment of reflection that comes with midlife crisis and that the fear that comes with it like isn't inherently like a bad thing it just usually it leads to people find looking for easy answers which tends to you know, be be either like at the worst case, ill-advised purchases of sports cars, or or worse, right? Like, well, I mean, I think yeah. you know the whole over the hill uh, metaphor works really well, right? I mean, you know, zero through forty, you're just climbing up that hill, and all you can see is like uh, infinity above, right? The, I mean, like, it just keeps of, going, yeah, yeah. And, the, and then you get to the top, and you start going down, and all you can see is like <laughs> old age and death. <laughs> You're just like, oh boy, I see the end now. I and, need and, to and, maybe and it, rethink everything. Yeah, and it pushes her to 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 make positive changes. Now, some of that is just good fortune that mm-hmm. she happened to run into this guy. But I guess, um, so, so like, ch- children responding to their parents' like response to midlife uh, and the changes that come with that or c- can come with that. I think in this case, obviously, we all three of us agree that they're they they, res- they deal with it in a reprehensible way. Right. Um, do you have any memories of your parents going through what could be qualified as a midlife crisis, whether it's as, you know, something silly like dad bought a Corvette, which my dad literally did like five, <laughs> six years ago. I mean, he was a, a little old to be calling it midlife crisis, but s- still did that. And I definitely rolled my eyes in a big way. Um, do uh, you have any memory? I know your parents were older. But so I, that that's the thing is. I don't know. I, I mean, I was going to make the joke like uh, I am the result of the midlife crisis, but, <laughs> but it, it wasn't that way. Um, but I do think that it really shifts your thinking if you have older parents, uh, because I think of it this way. Uh, the entirety of my life uh, for my dad like the amount of time I'm in his life uh, that did not start until he was 44. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like it's kind of 
like this movie like both my parents for whatever reason they just kind of did their own thing through happenstance or good fortune and you know i mean obviously things happened that were unexpected but they kind of made their own like kind of weird way and so i don't have any memory like i feel like they had kind of worked out a lot of that stuff by the time i was born so I'm, i don't i don't have any memory of like you know all of a sudden like oh dad has a toupee now or something like that <laughs> i mean the the I guess I have some on this. The, you know, there is an age gap between my parents. And the most, the darkest way I could bring it up is that when I was born, my dad was eight years older than the number of years my mom would live. Hmm. <laughs> like, that's dark. Yeah. Uh, so, so he was 58. Uh, and then she would die when she was 50. But she did, I think, did have, like, a midlife crisis in a good way before all that where she, like, uh, you know, kind of started moving up in her career and then started taking classes and going to college, like, getting her degree and, like, doing a lot to, like, you know, I think as I was older and she no longer had, like, a child to take care of and I was in, like, high school and then off to college, like, she opened up a lot of time for her to do those things that she probably missed when she was younger and now she could do. So I think that was like a positive way for her. I did have to deal with a little bit after she passed with my dad and just like, I don't even know if they were girlfriends or just like women that would like stay at the house that were often a lot younger. And I will, you know, I'm not Ned on this, but like, it is weird. Oh man. (laughs) Old men get lonely. Yeah. Old men get lonely. Not in a horny way. And I like, I, especially men of that generation because I don't know how to take care of myself way or like like oh no emotions like my I believe he still does this like my dad will just have the radio on at all times or the tv or something and similar to Rob's dad like after my mom passed uh my dad just kind of like I'll say shacked up and there's just like this woman around and it's just like inertia took over like oh Mary lives here now like wait what What? yeah yeah it's uh it's weird and I mean I think everyone if even if you know anyone listening to this if you have both parents that are still alive I'm sure you can kind of be like there's one that you're like I hope that one lives outlives the other one because they'll be more independent and fine first yep you know, like the, I think you've that you've all thought it. You can deny it if you want, but you've all thought it. Yeah, you've had you've had this mental mental process. Um, so one thing I will say: so the closest that I saw my mom have to a midlife crisis is what I will call empty nester crisis, and she actually uh, did that very positively, and that she took up painting later in life. Oh, nice. Um, and really threw herself kind of into that and she became good friends with her art instructor and whatnot so that's a positive example yeah if it was a midlife crisis she would have like gotten close with her karate instructor (laughs) (laughs) dude karate instructors always open up uh deals for women in midlife age (laughs) 35 and up we got some deals for you to come to the karate studio (laughs) 
It's a dojo, uh, Rob. It's a dojo. The dojo, sorry. Uh, Joe, do you have any to add outside of the Corvette? Well, I mean, yeah, I think, like, my... I think my dad just sort of lives, like... I think midlife crisis is kind of, like, about... It is, to some extent, fueled by, like, regret and, like, wistfulness for lost opportunities. And I think that, like... Like, I think when my dad bought those cars, it's like, okay, now I have the money to afford them. He bought two Corvettes. <laughs> he doesn't have... He got rid of one of them. Because um, he also, like like your dad, Rob... Bought him in duplicate. You got to have him in duplicate. Just, uh, he saw a deal. Yeah. And he was and he was he was confident he could at some point resell the, the one from the 60s or 70s. I can't remember what year it was because I don't care. Okay. Um, that he could, he's like, was confident I could resell that and either get my money back or make money on it. And I think he ended up being right on that. I think he like ended up selling it for a couple hundred bucks more than he bought it for. So good job. Profit. Uh, oh no, you know what? No, he didn't. He sold like the the new one. I don't know how he did on that. Okay. He sold it during the pandemic, so I know used cars went for more than they usually right. do. So maybe. Right. He oh man, there were there were a lot of midlife crises happening. Then. Well, anyway, so but it's so like yeah, he like um kind of like um. I, I, he's a strange character. I, 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 like when I when he would have been in like his forties, he would have. For a lot of them, like I just didn't see him very much. He was just like traveling for work or you know, leaving for work when I went to school and not getting home until after I went to bed. Like I didn't just didn't really see him much. So I would assuming whatever, however midlife crisis was manifesting itself, it was just happening like on the road. So I don't know. Sure. It's between him and his priest, I guess. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't really care. Um, so, yeah, I don't. And, and, as, uh, and as far as my mom is concerned, like I, I don't think like, uh she i think to like perhaps her detriment is like not selfish enough uh so i i don't think that she would give herself permission to have a midlife crisis because that would mean doing what she wants to do i know sure. both of those sounded kind of depressing but i don't know getting older is depressing i guess right could could she be coaxed by a hunky uh yardscaper um <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't really think your typical landscape guy looks like Rock Hudson. Uh, to to to, re- to revisit your earlier points that you're yeah. saying to Rock, yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't think so. Um, so I, I'm yeah, I'm kind of that. This is sort of actually making me a little disappointed because so many funny things can happen to people when they're in middle age. I guess that means one of us is going to have to do something funny. Well. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> we'll yeah. Work on that. We'll work on it. I don't um, I'm not, you know, or or just one of our friends, I guess, or coworkers, right? I don't know. Someone, yeah. Someone someone's got to well, do something. One of us is going to become like just take a turn and be like hardcore maga and like, I don't think that's, that's going to happen. No, man. It's a, like there's so many weird switches that happen. You know, just statistically. Which of us is going to have the Fox News logo burned into the screen? Oh boy, I, I don't think it's. I can't see it for any of us. Yeah, I really can't. Um, um, I think like, um, yeah. I guess I. I wonder like if 
if like I will avoid the midlife crisis thing because I had a child at midlife. Mm. So like mm. I just like can't. So I wonder if I'll have like a delayed midlife crisis because like I don't really think you can have one when your kids like under 10 years old cuz you don't really have enough of a like you just don't have time to do it. Oh, you could do it under 10 for sure. I'd say like under 4 you can't. Work, work it in. Okay, so in like two more years I can like um I don't really even know how I'll do it. Like, I think once they go into school, you're allowed to have a midlife crisis. Okay, well. So, like, five or six, so and you're allowed. Let's revisit this in a few years. Maybe I'll okay. be the one that does so, something funny. Joe, you mentioned your dad in the Corvettes. I see you as, like, like one day, you, you, like, you go all in on, like, selling something, and just, like, Susie comes home, and the garage is, like, full of boxes, and you're like, oh, I'm going to move these. They're going to, they're just going to take off. And I'm trying to think of, like, what it'll be. So I become, like, a deals guy? Yeah, you'll be uh, yeah. I don't know. I hate mailing or, stuff. Or <laughs> I hate mailing stuff. I have to send some like some uh, <laughs> some clothes back to Brooks, not Brooks Brothers, Brooks the uh, sportswear company. Okay. And I'm just dreading. It's like God. I have to find a printer and print off the label. How am I going to do that? Mm-hmm. They got to go somewhere, and then you gotta... have to drive to FedEx or UPS or something. Come on. Yeah. God, I know. I'll just throw the clothes away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, do we have any uh, more midlife stuff here? Or do we want to talk about Douglas Sirk and Rock Hudson? Yeah, I mean, we were out, we, our weekly segment is like a look in the mirror. I, I don't know that, like, <laughs> that's pretty heavy this week. I didn't, so <laughs> I'll, I will say I didn't see any direct, like, emotional parallels but that uh, that old windmill or whatever that he he fixed up, I could do that. I could yeah, there. I'm glad you said that, Duff, because actually, like, I think that that like yearning for like a place in the country, like an idyllic, private, beautiful place in the country, I think is like classic midlife crisis stuff, like getting right. out of the city and like yep. just being out there, right? I I I don't think. I would actually be happy at this stage in my life doing that. But watching the movie, I was like, when especially when they open, he puts in that beautiful like, like floor to ceiling glass window out into that incredible field. It's so like I love like vacationing at places like that. So like I I was just like man. In like twenty years, I could totally see myself like living in a place like I at least I would love to. I I would too. I I I would too. I, I wouldn't be able to do the work to turn it into that, but I would love to have it. God, I would just, my place would end up looking like it does in the beginning, where it's just spider webs and crap. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, oh, this is good enough. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, uh, I don't, I, you know, I, I, I guess the only thing is like, you know, to, to answer the question that was posed at the beginning during the cold open about like other second acts of American love lives. Like I've certainly hope so. And it's nice to see that Carrie gets one here. She deserves yeah. it. She deserves to have her on and I'm happy that it works out for them. Yeah. Um, so Douglas Sirk. Mm-hmm. Big fan. I, uh, I've seen his four big works. Right, magnificent obsession. All that heaven allows. Written on the wind. I love written on the wind. Written on the wind is so fun. Uh, 
that's the was Lauren Bacall and that or uh, yes, that's one of Rock Hudson, Lauren Bacall, and it's just that dysfunctional drunk oil dynasty family. Yeah, that one's fun. Yep, just I think to... I've I've seen. Did he do both versions of Imitation of Life? Because one is a his is a remake, or did yeah, he... his is the nineteen fifty nine one. I don't think he did the nineteen thirty four okay. one. Um, no, he wasn't in the United States yet. But that's right. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I've already kind of said most of what I know is just in his work in that he was uh, quite subver- subversive for 1950s film at the height of, you know, conservative HUAC America and the production code still had some teeth left in it. Yeah, and I think, like, um, you know, he uh, he was making these, like, women's films, these weepies, is that what they call them, Duff? Yeah. It's not the... They're making these weepies, and at the time, critically, people were just like... Soap operas, these are they are. They are. Yeah. And then it, I think it was, uh, you know, a, few, a couple decades later in France where they're like, these are awesome. I was, was going to say, <laughs> is this one of those things where the French pointed out? I was like, no, these are good, actually. Yeah, yeah, the, that is what happened. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're, I would say Written on the Wind would be my the other one I would really, I, I would really stand for quite a bit. Man, like Duff was saying, the Magnificent Obsession is one of the is just someone going blind and then just becoming a dot. It's insane. It's insane. It, it is, is <laughs> like if you think of a parody of a soap opera plot, that is what it is. That is where, yeah. I mean, it's it's enjoyable, but that's where it gets a little too just wacky for my taste. But yeah, like here's how it starts. It starts with Rock Hudson's character, who is like a spoiled playboy he crashes his speedboat that's how the, oh, <laughs> the movie we, starts we, we, sorry we're doing it going to rock hudson now oh no just real well rock hudson i just want to explain the first scene of oh Magnus i'm sorry Obsession. Okay, i'm sorry it's it's a it's a drunk playboy rock hudson driving his speedboat into like a dock and then they call you know they call the doctors over and they have to they bring the doctor over there who has the like a resuscitator, defibrillator, defibrillator or whatever for him. And because of that, when um, Jane Wyman's character's husband suffers a heart attack, the doctor can't be there to (laughs) resuscitate him and he dies. And that is like how the like relationship is set up is that because he was out like crashing his speedboat that he's the reason her husband died. Um, And then it just gets crazier from there. Uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, those, the Douglas Sirk movie is worth watching. He, he's a really interesting filmmaker and, um, like a more modern version of that and also has heaven in it. Which one is it? Uh, Far from Far heaven? Far from heaven. Yeah. Which, yeah, Todd Haynes did that, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that is like a Douglas Sirk movie, but made in 2002, but like a melodrama. It's, you know, very. This is, uh, Carol. I think it was the second week in a row I stand for Carol. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another Carol stand. Uh, and then, yeah, Rock Hudson is... Um, a hunk is what he is. A hunk, you know, unfortunately. Is, I didn't realize... I, I, I was going to say one more thing about Douglas Turk. If, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. please. I, I think, like, his personal life also, like, the, just one aspect of it has just always been absolutely wild to me. And so he left his first wife in 1934 mm-hmm. and he married a jewish woman and this is in germany by the way mm-hmm. so his wife joins the nazi party 
His first his wife? His first wife joins the Nazi Not the Jewish one. <laughs> his first wife joins the Nazi party. Okay. Did you not know this? No, I don't know this. I don't this, think I, I didn't know this. This is great. This is just wild to me. So his, um, his first wife joins the Nazi party. And because of that, because because Cirque's second wife is Jewish, she can now legally keep him from seeing the son that he had with his first wife. Okay. So he can no longer see his son. And then a, f- a couple years after that, he ends up leaving Germany because he is Stuff not a happening. Nazi. <laughs> Plus yeah. his wife, his new wife is uh, German. Jewish. So, or excuse oh. me, Jewish. And they um, they leave. And and uh, Douglas Sirk absolutely hated the Nazis because uh, he's a king. Yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken... Um, I'm, I'm confirming this. I want to make sure I get the year right. Um, yes, he. Uh, <laughs> this is just so crazy to me. So, so he probably didn't see his dad again, uh, starting from when he was like nine or whatever. Um, when he, in 1944, uh, at some point during the Second World War, he's conscripted into the German army. He fought fighting for the Nazis in 1944. So I'm trying to imagine the pain of, like, you leave your first wife because your second wife is Jewish. You are no mm-hmm. longer able to see your son. Mm-hmm. Then a couple years later, uh, out of fear for your second wife and uh, your own disgust with where Germany's heading, you leave Germany. And then your son, uh, seven years later, ends up dying fighting for the Germans. Yeah. I just think that that is... Just so hard. Tragic. <laughs> yep. Yeah. God. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. Uh, and then we transition to Rock Hudson, who famously died of AIDS. Yeah, he didn't yeah. have some sadness on that end as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I, guess I've seen more Rock Hudson movies than I thought. I, I've seen Pillow Talk. That's the only Doris Day movie of his I've seen. Like, obviously, like Rock Hudson, Doris Day is a big thing. The crazy thing about Pill Talk is the whole point of Pill Talk is that there's a party line, which is like a technological thing that, like, you, I, I, even me, I'm like, wait, what? It was like kind of on, like, on its last legs. Like, I feel like it might have been a joke in sitcoms, but yeah, even for us, it's like, what are they talking about? Yeah, like the whole movie is based off the idea that the apartment building hadn't gotten lines for everyone. So him and Doris Day's character, who live in different apartments in this building, have the same phone line. Yeah, like and so they have to the f- days of like, oh, give me Klondike four eight seven something. <laughs> it's wild, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, he's a hunk, and uh, I've enjoyed. You know, I don't. He's not a guy that I necessarily think has like a ton of. Um, range but like he's charismatic and sometimes that's all i really want he's a movie star he's a movie star absolutely he's he's a movie star i will say that i watched uh seconds uh john John frankenheimer movie in the late 60s uh a rare it's kind of like a uh it honestly has some parallels with face off in that in that movie (laughs) rock hudson uh is a guy who pays to have people fake his death and then give him like a body face transplant to make him young again. Oh, it oh is, wow! It is a uh, and it's science fiction allegory. Uh, and if 
of course, on Letterboxd, that is the most well, like, that's the big Rock Hudson movie. It's like that right. and then Pillow Talk. Uh, but I had heard, like, all people like, oh, he really does great in seconds. And, yeah, I don't I don't think he's the greatest actor, but it, if you want to see, like, Rock Hudson in a very against type uh type of movie and role check out uh john frankenheimer's seconds i believe it's 1967 or so uh 66 yeah uh yeah i mean otherwise you could but, see him in some some but like stereotypically uh, like a fifth 1950s and early 60s uh the light comedy uh leading man right because before that you could see him like he's in winchester 73 for a little bit he's in bend of the river like there's some like westerns from like the early 50s he's in but yeah, then he gets into these, you know, he kind of becomes a star with yeah. um, these I mean, ones. He's, so. he's a strapping 6'5 hunk. What can you say? Yeah, I mean, he. I think he. the swagger he has in this movie like shows that he sh- could have been one of the great Western leading men, I think. Yeah. Like, I think so, too. Like he, like him as, on, and, the, and I also think on either side, the villain or the hero. Yeah. I could see that because he's, you know, he's got kind of dark complexion, uh, dark hair. Like I could see him pulling off a villain, like kind of a soft-spoken, menacing villain. I think he mm-hmm. would have been great, great at it. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I'm glad you liked all that heaven allows, Joe. Oh, it was great. So, so Joe had challenged me to come up with uh, a Rock Hudson anecdote. Oh, story. okay. Um, I kept going like. I feel bad reducing someone's life to some to this, but they're all kind of a bummer. Like all the most interesting stuff about Rock Hudson is just about his sexuality and what he went through. But even before that, how he was he was literally like one of the last studio creations. Like he was like he had a manager who was just a classic Hollywood villain. Yeah. Um his name his last name was wilson um but i don't remember his first name uh i made notes but i didn't write his that's fine Um, yeah we'll protect his identity (laughs) he's uh uh, henry wilson so henry wilson and what adds another wrinkle to this is that henry wilson also was gay and would make his clients engage in acts with him um henry like like you know that guy in the Godfather, the uh, the movie mogul. Like, yeah. He sounds kind of like that. He's like, oh, we put all this money into her, and she was beautiful. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, just that type of like classic villain. Yeah. Um, so like Rock Hudson was just kind of this hayseed, and like this agent like paid for his teeth to be fixed. He got him a house. He got him wardrobe uh acting vocal lessons like he basically like like his motto was like oh i can teach him to act later like if you like if you look the part he would take you on and but like he he got rock hudson to drop his mannerisms like literally like he would slap his wrists when he did something effeminate like it was just i mean it was grooming really yeah um and the other so this guy like he knew that Rock Hudson was his moneymaker. And back then it was the era of, you know, like everyone knew, like I read something that said everyone on the coasts knew Rock Hudson was gay, but it was never printed anywhere. And, but there was going to be uh, like one of those 
old rags like Hollywood Confidential or something, they were going to out him. And so Wilson like gave up two of his other clients as a deal. Oh no! Like he he told him how Rory Calhoun was in prison, and he also like I think outed Tab Hunter or uh yeah it was or sorry he like gave up that these two guys had prison records like he just uh and then he had him then he had rock hudson marry his secretary it was like a sham marriage to like get the press off his back uh so he was a really bad dude um but he and then he kind of ended up uh destitute and i don't know why but i find this very funny but this is kind of about his last days he said uh this is a quote from someone he said well, he had no friends left. He had a maid, and every time the maid would come by to clean his apartment, he would give her a piece of furniture because he didn't have any money. <laughs> oh, boy. And oh. it would be sad if this guy just weren't such an awful person. Oh, that's not how Rock Hudson no, died. That that's Wilson. the other guy. Oh, um, okay. All right. I was um, like, oh, this no. is a bummer, man. Um, I mean, you kind of know how Rock Hudson died. Um, yes. So I really briefly, just to bring it around, I, I know it's a bummer, but... Uh, so the way that Rock Hudson discovered he has AIDS, and this is, I don't know if this is another sliding doors thing or just kind of brings it full circle, was he was friends with Nancy Reagan, who of course did not know that he was gay. No mm-hmm. one really knew Rock Hudson was gay until just before he died, I think, mm-hmm. like when he announced he had AIDS. I mean, again, like, you know, like people in Hollywood knew, but like, you know, what they call yeah. flyover country, middle America, no clue. And I guess Jane, or uh, sorry, not Jane Wyman, Nancy Reagan, I guess somehow never got the memo about that. Uh, but so she saw something that he had a mole on his neck and he said he should get it checked. And that kind of led to Rock Hudson figuring out that he had AIDS. Oh, wow. Yep. Uh, but don't worry, not not in case, like as Joe said, Nancy Reagan is a monster. And once they found out his AIDS, they would not help him get treatment. Him or, or uh, <laughs> they're they're so <sighs> ghouls. Yeah, like, just... like it didn't even take like a lot of googling. I'm like, uh, there's a Guardian article, and the headline is Nancy Reagan refused to help dying Rock Hudson get AIDS treatment. Oh, boy. So again, like I know that there was just an HBO documentary about him that I heard was good, and I, you know, I don't like reducing him to just like, kind of like, you know the hollywood sob story tragedy but i mean there is a lot of really interesting stuff and most of it's a bummer yeah yeah well next week (laughs) we won't talk about a bummer of a movie right joe yeah we are oh okay uh getting old old sucks (laughs) yeah we're talking about the swimmer next week Mm. so um we are going forward about what 14 years or so or 13 yeah 1968 years? okay yeah. 13 years and uh here we just sort of uh we're going back to to the dudes and here we have bert the great bert lancaster another and tall we're, boy yeah we were talking about yeah. this before the episode i'm pretty we're pretty sure we've never talked about a bert lancaster movie i don't if we no, have we have not i do not believe so well we forgot then um and in this case, it's just a middle-aged dude who just decides, "I'm gonna swim in everyone's swimming pool." The my way home. movie poster for this movie. This is how I set this up. The movie poster says, "When you talk about the swimmer, 
will you talk about yourself? Uh, so I would say <laughs> I am looking forward to this. Yeah, this sounds like some new Hollywood nonsense right here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this this might be uh, what I'm hoping for is like a non, um, like. I sort of the graduate for middle-aged people, but not mm. really, really annoying. Mm. That, that mm. is my hope, anyways, uh, for our our discussion. But we'll we'll see uh, where we all stand on it. But uh, yeah, I think we're gonna have a good. I, I think this is maybe gonna be the one where we really have to look deep into the abyss. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. Well, we're gonna we're gonna start. We you know we're gonna as the season goes on, we're gonna go dark, and then we'll come back out in the light. Just yeah, like you should we, in we, any we've good got, We got crisis. a fun one planned for the end, so don't worry. Yep. Yep. Well, uh, listeners, you uh, thanks for listening. A and B, if you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash the midnight boys. We have an absurd number of episodes on there that we Too do. Many. We need to pay two dollars. Two dollars. Um, and you get access to all of them. You can you can just pay one time and get access to them all. Uh, so yeah, you should check that out. And uh, we will be back next week talking about the swimmer. Mm-hmm.